Hi, I'm the producer of A Public Affair, Jade Isiri Ramos. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the station. We take donations all year long at wortfm.org. Thanks. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground, another pirate station. We bring the truth to places truth has never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Good afternoon and welcome to a public affair. I'm Shali Pittman filling in for Esti Denur, who is out on assignment, that assignment vacation. Thanks for joining us here this hour. Today, we're talking about funding, specifically funding for public and community radio stations, including WORT. Earlier this month, a subcommittee of the U.S. House of Representatives released its draft spending bill for the next fiscal year. That draft bill recommended zeroing out funding for public media. Specifically, that proposal would eliminate funding for the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, which is the single largest source of funding for public radio and public television. And it would also eliminate funding for system interconnection and infrastructure, which is the way public media distributes programs and emergency alerts. Suffice it to say that this proposal, if approved, would be devastating to the entire public and community media ecosystem. It would impact many community and public broadcasters, including WORT. And while this isn't the first time a public conversation about how government money is used to fund media and broadcasters, it's perhaps one of the most drastic proposals we've ever seen. The proposal hasn't yet received significant coverage in the popular press. This issue only came to my desk through the dogged work of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, or NFCB, a coalition of community broadcasters of which WORT is a part. But the issue has been covered by a few outlets, including The Current, a nonprofit news organization that covers the public media industry, and Julian Wiley is the public television reporter for The Current, and he's written recently about the appropriations bill in both the House and the Senate, which we'll talk about. He joins us from Chicago today. Good afternoon, Julian, and thanks for being here. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And also joining us today is Kate Riley. She's vice president of government and public affairs at APTS, an industry group representing American public television stations. She's worked at APTS since 2010, liaising with Congress, federal departments and agencies, and state governments. And she also has a local connection. She's a graduate of Marquette University in Milwaukee, and she joins us today from Washington, D.C. Good afternoon, Kate Riley. Good afternoon. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks to both of you for joining me this afternoon to talk about this really important issue for broadcasters. It might be a little self-reflexive to talk about this today, but it's really important. And before we get into some of the specifics of what's happening um, this year in this funding cycle, it might be helpful just to start off um, to get some background on how public media is funded in a typical appropriation cycle. So Kate Riley, can you um, start us off, you deal directly with Congress in a typical year, how would funding for public media get approved in Congress? Sure. So um, Congress uh, considers its funding on an annual basis. So the process restarts every year. And usually we see the process start in February with the president making a budget proposal. 
after that, um, typically you should see Congress um, offering a congressional budget um, proposal. That um, does not happen as much in years when the Congress is divided and the Senate and the House are controlled by different political parties. So that did not happen this year. But ideally, that would happen, and that would mean that the House and Senate would agree on what the overall top-line spending level for the federal government should be. So that should happen in maybe March or April. And then you would have the House and Senate Appropriations Committees start to write their bills. Um, there are 12 subcommittees, each one handling different sections of the government. Um, public media, uh, most of our funding is provided through the Labor, Health and Human Services and Education Subcommittee uh, and related agencies. And the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is considered a related agency in that um, in that funding bill. So normally they um, solicit uh, requests from other members of Congress who might write the Appropriations Committee and say, here's my top three programs um, I'd like to see funding for. And then the subcommittees draft their bills and then consider them through a process called markups, um, which usually happen in May and June, um, after which point the subcommittee would report it to the full committee, the full committee would then consider it. And these are opportunities for the members of those subcommittees and full committees to offer amendments to change the underlying bill. Um, and then it would go to the floor of either the House or Senate for consideration by the full body. Um, normally, you would like to see that happen in the summer before the August recess, um, so usually in July. Uh, and then in the fall, when they come back, they would be trying to reconcile the two different um, bills between the House and Senate and come to a final agreement um, or conference is what they would call that. And the end of the federal um, fiscal year is September 30th. So those bills um, should theoretically all be done by then so that there's no interruption for government funding. It is a very difficult task to achieve that. And it's very common to have um, short-term um, funding measures called continuing resolutions that buy Congress a little bit more time later into the fall while they're finishing that process. Well, thank you, Kate Riley, for outlining how that would work in a typical typical year. Um, and so let's talk about what's different this summer. The U.S. Subcommittee, as you mentioned, on Labor, Health, and Human Services, Education, and Related Committees um, is a Republican-controlled uh, uh, subcommittee. Um, actually, in the Democratic minority of that appropriation subcommittee is our very own Representative Mark Pocan, who we did invite to the program today but was unavailable to join us. Um, so that subcommittee proposed zeroing out all public media funding two Fridays ago on July 14th. And can we just get a little more on that bill? Julian Wiley, um, you cover uh, the the public media industry and you've been following the story, one of the few outlets to be doing so. Can you outline what just what is in this um, House Appropriations Bill? Yeah. So, you know, essentially, you generally can't always predict what Congress is going to do. Um, so when I heard of the news with the House Appropriations Subcommittee, I kind of knew that the reaction in public broadcasting, <clears throat> excuse me, would be people that are, you know, definitely surprised by this and not happy to see it. Um, essentially what this House Appropriations Subcommittee on the, you know, the mouthful labor health and human services, education related agencies, um, you know, they proposed zeroing out public broadcasting and by uh, fiscal year 2026. The reason why it's that far in advance is because public media appropriations are forward funded by two years. So this wouldn't be like 
immediately tomorrow, everything just goes dark. It would sort of be in a couple years, we would start to see these big changes. Um, if this were to happen, you know, this is roughly 500 plus millions of dollars that are kind of, you know, gone that are, you would go to radio and television stations. And that's basically the big problem that stations don't want to see essentially. Yeah, thank you for for outlining that. And I do have a follow up question about um, that forward funding aspect, but we'll talk about that a little later on in the show. Um, But I just, you know, there is a breaking news from yesterday, which we'll get to in a second. But Kate, you know, you represent uh, public television uh, stations. What was your reaction to finding out about the House bill a couple weeks ago? And did that come as a surprise to you? And and what did you hear from member stations who uh, were finding out about this? So we knew that the House um, Appropriations Committees were marking up their bills to fiscal year 2022 spending levels. So last year was fiscal year 23. So they were going back two years to significantly reduce spending levels. So we knew that the top line number that the House Appropriations Committee was starting off with was considerably lower than the spending level of last year. And so we were not surprised to see cuts. Um, I will say that, you know, we were not um, anticipating a total elimination of funding um, like what was included in the bill, mainly because we do have such strong bipartisan support for public media funding, both within Congress and um, among the American people. And so this proposal is um, really out of step with that support. So it was somewhat surprising from that angle. Um, However, there are a large number of programs in the what we call by shorthand the labor HHS education bill that um, that were proposed for significant cuts or total elimination. So public media was not the only um, account targeted in that bill. And I think a lot of that is because of the very, very low spending level that they were writing that bill to. Um, You know, in terms of the response from the system uh, and from our local public television stations around the country, there's deep concern about this proposal. This would um, fundamentally undercut the financial model that has been so successful for the last 47 years and that has really enabled local stations to be independent and to be some of the last local media in many communities around the country. And this um, CPB funding and the advanced funding is a critical part of the way that our system works and how we are able to um, leverage that federal funding to raise uh, additional funds from viewers and listeners um, and and other organizations. So uh, our stations were very concerned and really took the opportunity to try to talk to their members of Congress about, you know, the important role that they play in their community, mainly in the areas of education, public safety and civic leadership, um, providing resources um, and and partnering with community organizations uh, in a way that no other entities are. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, WORT, we provide EAS alerts, we provide emergency safety, but public safety, but we also allow people to connect with the community and we provide local news. They're really critical community radio stations, public broadcasters are critical drivers um, of keeping their communities informed, especially in places that maybe aren't as populous as Madison, Wisconsin, but are maybe in a news desert or in a rural area um, or uh, on Native American um, Um, land. So um, I want to talk more about that later on. But there's breaking news from yesterday. The U.S. Senate Committee. So we've been talking about the U.S. House of Representatives 
Representatives Appropriations Subcommittee, uh, Labor, HHS, Education. Now we're going to switch to the U.S. Senate Committee on Appropriations, which met on Capitol Hill yesterday and released their appropriations bills. And of course, the the relevant subcommittee there also uh, released their uh, their appropriations bill. And we found out that funding for public media is included in the Senate appropriation bill. Um, Julian, real quickly, can you outline what was included yesterday in the in that bill in that Senate bill? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure public media station leaders and staffers could wake up a lot easier based on yesterday's news, essentially. Um, the Senate committee recommended $535 million for fiscal year 2026 as the advance appropriation to public broadcasting. Um, you know, those appropriations, as we kind of mentioned, being two years in advance. Um, you know, now that $535 million, if it were to make it all the way down the road, I wouldn't necessarily think of it as a totally flawless victory. Um, that $535 million is the same total for fiscal year 2025. And it falls short of um, the $575 million that Biden proposed in his budget earlier this year. So that's a $40 million difference. But you know, the fact that there is some level of recommendation for funding is obviously a positive, And that's something that stations would definitely be happy about in comparison to what the House subcommittee did. Thank you, Julian. Kate, do you have anything to add about yesterday's news from the Senate? Um, so it, the Senate was marking up their bills to a higher level than the House. So um, in some ways, that this is one of those big structural differences that's going to be very difficult for them to reconcile at the end of the year. Um, so we knew that the Senate had more funding to work with. Their level was set by the um, debt ceiling deal that was reached earlier this summer that agreed to a level of spending that was much closer to the FY23 level, so to last year's levels. So um, we also have very strong bipartisan support throughout Congress, but particularly in the Senate, where we have a number of members in um, states with vast rural areas who understand that their local public media stations are the only um, communications entities, the only broadcasters that much of their um, smaller communities in those rural areas receive. So there really is a deep recognition for the value of local media and how CPB funding makes that possible. Um, so we were very, you know, pleased that given the um, the situation with the overall spending limit that was agreed to in the debt ceiling deal, um, this was a, a pretty positive outcome in the Senate um, committee, and we're we're very glad that it's a, a foil to the House proposal. Thank you, Kate Riley. So Tammy Baldwin, senator from Wisconsin, is chair of the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Labor, Health and Human Services Education. Um, She spoke during yesterday's Senate Appropriations hearing about this specific subcommittee bill. So I want to take a listen to that clip because I want to really outline how much uh, funding uh, is included in these subcommittee bills and public media didn't even rise to the level of being mentioned um, during uh, at least that the hearing that that I was watching yesterday morning. So let's take a listen to that clip. Uh, this is Tammy Baldwin speaking yesterday. The Labor HHS bill that we're marking up today funds a wide range of important priorities from substance use disorder and mental health programs to child care to biomedical research to workforce development. And this year we received 9,185 programmatic appropriation requests from senators for important programs throughout the bill. 
It's a difficult endeavor in any year to put this bill together, uh, but this year the bill was even harder to write because of the cuts Congress agreed to in order to not default on our debt and crash our economy. As a result, this bill includes less funding than it did in the current fiscal year. Of nearly 10,000 requests I just referred to, I can count on one hand the number of those requests from senators that asked us to reduce funding for a program. The bill is very much a compromise, but despite the challenges we faced in writing this bill, I am very proud of our finished product. We looked hard at every program and worked together to address the highest priority funding needs. This bill invests an additional $1 billion to increase access to early childhood care and education programs and provides $943 million more for NIH to support life-saving biomedical research. In a bill that overall includes less funding than the current fiscal year, this bill provides $100 million uh, in increased funds for mental health research, $100 million in increased funding for Alzheimer's disease research, and a $60 million increase for cancer research, among other increases for important programs. While our country grapples with deadly poisonings and overdoses from fentanyl, we boosted our investment in programs that are helping our communities save lives. This bill includes nearly $300 million in increased funding for uh, substance use disorder and mental health programs that provide critical support for those struggling with substance use disorders and mental health challenges. And as an increasing number of um, individuals, and especially our nation's youth, are seeking crisis care, this bill includes an $18 million increase for the uh, Eight, or sorry, 988 Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It includes targeted increases to other programs, including curbing maternal mortality, ending the HIV epidemic, boosting career and technical education, and supporting pandemic preparedness and biodefense, while maintaining the vast majority of investments made in important programs over the last couple of years. I am so proud of the investments that we were able to make in this bill, but I wish we could have done more. I'm disappointed that this bill isn't able to increase funding for family planning, among many other important programs. But this bill makes the most out of the hand that we were dealt in our bipartisan compromise to avoid defaulting on our nation's debt. And in stark contrast to the Labor HH bill being fashioned in the House of Representatives, this bill was developed in a fully bipartisan manner. The House process threatens a government shutdown and sequestration to defense and non-defense programs. This bill can be passed by the Senate, passed by the House, and signed by the President. This bill can be passed. So that was Senator Tammy Baldwin during a Senate appropriations hearing yesterday that recommended approving funding for public media, among many other items. We heard just a couple. There's so much being discussed in these um, appropriations bills um, that, uh, you know, are not included in the U.S. House versions. So that's where we stand right now. 
It's 1226. You're listening to A Public Affair on Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM. We're talking about a threat to public media funding being driven by the U.S. House of Representatives. And we are taking your questions this hour at 608-256-2001. Our guests are Julian Wiley, a public television reporter for The Current, an industry news source for people in public media, and Kate Riley, Vice President of Government and Public Affairs for APTS American Public Television Stations. Hey, I want to let you know that 12% of WORT's annual budget comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, that's CPB. It's the single largest source of funding for public and community broadcasters. And this is a good opportunity to mention that when we're talking about funding WORT, about 80% of our funding comes from listener sponsors. That's you. Today is our Evergreen Donor Drive, and we're hoping you might consider becoming a monthly donor to the station if you're not already giving on a monthly basis. It's easy to sign up. Just head to wortfm.org, click on that donate button, and click on Evergreen Monthly Donations. If you want to sign up by phone, we can take down your information and send you a one-page form to sign up by mail. Just call that same phone number, 608-256-2001, and talk to our lovely receptionist, Patty, this hour. Monthly donating... Don- Monthly donating is super helpful to WORT. It helps us forecast our funding and figure out what projects we can continue to fund and also what new priorities we can fund for for years and years to come. It also helps buffer us from uncertainty, which is becoming more of a standard for public and community media and is the topic of our show today. So back to public funding uh, from the government. Uh, We just heard a clip from Tammy Baldwin about the U.S. Senate uh, subcommittee uh, appropriations bill. Kate Riley and Julian Wiley, I want to talk about the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, or CPB, which funds many broadcasters. with your your uh, uh, apologies to you, I have another clip to play. Um, Sally Kane is the CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, or NFCB, and she has really been keeping us updated about progress on Capitol Hill the fa- past few weeks. Um, she was interviewed by Community Radio KZYK out of Philo, California, a few days after the release of the House Appropriations Bill. She started off talking about what the CPB is, so I want to lay that out and then have you follow up on this. So here's Sally Kane. The Corporation for Public Broadcasting was established by the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967. It's a 501c3. It is not a government agency. And it's set up that way so that it has a firewall to sort of navigate the vagaries of different um, partisan agendas and changing administrations. Something else that became uh, a tradition from the beginning was that the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, or CPB, would be um, forward-funded for two year, two fiscal years each time, and that was also a way of protecting uh, public media from from you know being punished or or rewarded uh, by. In an election cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so that federal investment, starting with the Public Broadcasting Act, now in today's dollars translates to five hundred seventy-five million dollars that go to CPB. So, sixty million is in an interconnection system, 
separate, which is our satellite system, how we relay our live programming, morning edition, all things considered. Anything that's going live out goes to um, a distribution interconnection system that federal monies help to fund. And in addition to that, um, right now, there's a federal investment out of FEMA for next generation warning systems. This is in response to the need for greater climate resiliency on the part of local broadcasters. So you can see as the dollars add up what that actually means for a whole system. Um, What's happening right now to bring listeners up to speed is that on July 14th, the House Labor, Health and Human Services, which is the federal agency that that has that line item for funding CPV, um, their appropriations subcommittee um, with a majority of Republican House of Representatives um, people approved its draft fiscal year appropriations legislation okay for 2024 that proposed bill does a number of things and it does constitute the most extreme assault on public media that i have seen in my lifetime Hmm. it would eliminate funding for the corporation for public broadcasting completely zeros it out it also throws to the wind the two-year advance funding it could also translate via amendment processes that i don't completely understand but it could potentially translate to rescinding money that has already been allocated within cpb to stations over the next two years right so that's never happened Mm -hmm. (laughs) um it's a it's a highly controversial bill that's come out of this house committee as folks can well imagine given the climate of the rhetoric of our politics right now um but it is definitely much worse than anticipated historically public media can become a football Mm -hmm. a political football uh but this seems to be um on a on a whole other level And that was Sally Kane, CEO of the National Federation of Community Broadcasters, in conversation with Victor Palomino at KZYK 90.7 FM in California. And our thanks to KZYK for allowing us to air that clip. So um, I thought that was a really interesting um, interview. There were a number of things mentioned that I didn't have a lot of clarity about. Um, Sally mentioned that there's forward funding of CPB for two years, which is very intentional in the design of this program of this corporation, but is that is that under a threat? What about this rescinding allocations for money that's already already kind of there? Uh, Kate Riley and Julian Wiley, um, what are your perspectives? I can start. Um, you know, the two-year advance funding for cor- the Corporation of Public Broadcasting is an essential part of our um, financial model. It has been in place for the last 47 years. Forward funding was first proposed by President Ford. Um, It's been a mechanism that has been um, well settled bipartisan policy since that time. Um, So we were very disappointed to see it proposed um, to be ended by this House uh, bill. Um, In terms of the rescinding, um, basically what has happened is in the last two years, they advanced funded by two years 
funding for um, FY24 and FY25. So that funding has already been passed by Congress and is sort of on the books. Um, I think what Sally was referring to is that during an appropriations committee markup um, or during the floor consideration, an amendment could be offered to um, rescind that funding to take that funding back. Um, the House did not move this bill to the full committee markup okay. before they began their August recess. So uh, we'll see if they schedule a markup in September, but that's certainly um, if we saw a proposal like that, that is something that we would strongly um, fight against. I believe that would be you know, extraordinarily damaging um, to stations and uh, would certainly be something concerning. But we do have um, significant bipartisan support um, in the House in addition to the Senate. And so we are working very hard with all of those supporters to make sure that they understand the the dangerous nature of both the proposal to end the two-year advance and any any amendment that might do further damage. Kate Riley, thank you so much. And I see Julia nodding there. Do you have anything to add, Julian? Or I, I have another question for you too. Yeah, I mean, I'll just add this before you ask. Um, you know, out of the funds that go to radio and public television stations and programming, you know, roughly. 75% of that goes to TV, 25% of it goes to radio. TV is a more expensive thing, so it kind of just makes sense. Um, all this type of inf information is public. You know, I can even go on and see how much WORT gets and yeah. you know what they got in their fiscal year 2022. A viewer could look at this. I can look at this. Um, you know, People in public media, they call it the formula. It's designed to be consistent year after year. Um, you know, this has the money that CBB's overhead gets, the money that goes to the stations, programming, um, interconnection, all these type of things that are essential to the way public media has functioned for decades and decades now. So, yeah. I can also tell you how much WORT got this year. We got $97,000 um, in CPB, fun CPB funds this year, and I'll have more about that um, later on. That's about 12% of our budget. So that's a good amount of money, right? Our listeners fund us the most, but um, there are effects that would happen, uh, negative effects that would happen if um, we did not continue to get that level of funding or no funding from the federal government. Um, and I think it's important to note that, I mean, along that formula lines, when you combine radio and television, over 70% of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting appropriation goes directly to local stations, be they television or radio. And that really is critical um, seed funding for those stations. Um, and as a frame of reference, public media funding makes up one one hundredth of one percent of the federal budget. So we are a very small piece of the overall federal budget, but it is an essential piece for our local stations. And even that's an even more important piece when you are looking at smaller stations, stations serving rural areas or stations serving um, geographically challenging areas where they have to have uh, mm -hmm. their signal go over mountains um, and really cover a large area. So it's it's critical funding for us. And broadcasting is expensive, right? There are there are certainly requirements that we must meet, but it's also just a resource-heavy um, thing to do for a newspaper. You know, all, I'm sure also resource-heavy, but you know, uh, th there's all sorts of equipment that we need um, in order to just literally have it happen. Um, but you mentioned that the the portion that public media is in the overall budget. Can you say that again? It's like one one tenth of a one tenth of a what? Yeah, it's 
it's so small, it's almost hard to wrap your mind around. It's one one hundredth of one percent. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I, we're talking about some real dollars here. It's about uh, half a billion, right? But in proportion to everything else that we spend money on as a society, it's such a sliver of an amount. But yet, uh, the threats to defund public media have emerged again and again as sort of a political punching bag. So very, very, you know, very small part of the budget. And yet, it continues to be a talking a point. Um, so, Julian, can you Give us some examples that politicians have used over time um, using things like PBS and NPR as kind of a punching bag. Yeah, I mean, um, I've written for current News for Public Media for the past, you know, since 2019. So at various times, I've had to go back into the history, look at articles current wrote, the New York Times, Washington Post, many other publications covering this. Um, You know, for example, in the 90s, um, Republicans partly led by Newt Gingrich, you know, at the time he vowed to zero out public media funding, he did have support for that, but it didn't necessarily go anywhere. Um, you know, the charges back then and similar to sometimes what is brought up now about PBS and NPR is sometimes that the programming is too liberal, that it's too biased against conservatives. Sometimes that is an argument that's made. Other times, some, sometimes people simply say that um, public media could survive on its own without federal funding, that, you know, getting money from the donors, corporate underwriting, other sources that they could make up the funding that um, federal dollars come from. That's sometimes an argument. Um, Something I, you know, I, in 1992, um, then PBS president, Bruce Christensen, um, he passed away late last year. So I wrote an obituary about him. When I was doing some research, I learned that um, he had did a speech to the National Press Club in 1992. And he essentially kind of said this, you know, his direct quote about this was during the time that public media funding was at risk. Um, Christensen said that, quote, the answer to whether public broadcasting is a successful and a valuable public good is a resounding yes. And then he said the public good offered by this institution lies in its ability to treat the American people as citizens of a nation rather than as consumers in a marketplace. And basically what he was trying to get at is the idea that public media has goals and aspirations that you know, not necessarily for-profit media has, and that, you know, this public media system is designed to serve people of all different walks of life, different regions that, you know, have hard time getting signals, uh, communities that are small, large, in between, Native American communities, you know, there's a lot of different things that go into this. So there's a reason why whenever this comes up, people get, you know, very scared about the idea of what could happen if federal dollars go away and public media isn't able to make up for it. Um, That was long winded, but that's essentially part of the problem. No, that's excellent. I really appreciate that piece of history. I I swear I can remember being a child in the 90s and something about Big Bird um, being used to defund uh, or being used to, to promote continuing uh, funding of of public radio and public television, especially. Um, but I, I I couldn't find anything about that. Do you do you know anything about that? I swear I remember it. Um, Big Bird something. Anyway, um, but I, I appreciate that background a lot. Um, I think part of the reason public and commercial stations get attacked is that unless you're in the industry, how we are funded is maybe a little complicated as we're spending today figuring out. Um, and we don't have media run by the government. So like say, you know, and B- the BBC is run by by the government or, or that, that at least is a little more of a relationship. But um, 
funding is usually a small for broadcasters is usually a chunk and it's not the entire um, funding pie. Um, this confusion was sort of on display earlier this summer when Elon Musk, the the world's richest man, right, had Twitter start labeling NPR and other outlets as state affiliated media. Um, Julian, can you kind of run us through that whole debacle? Yeah, I mean, um, earlier this year, that was a thing that got brought up. Um, my counterpart that covers public radio, Tyler Falk, he wrote a couple stories on this. You know, as you said, it being labeled state affiliated media definitely upset a lot of people, um, people that understand the distinction between, you know, CBB being sort of a conduit that gets money from the federal government, distributes it to the stations. The stations have, you know, abilities to program the things that they need in their community. People don't really look at it as state affiliate media the way that you might look at quote unquote state affiliate media in maybe other parts of the world. Um, you know, there were stations that responded to that. Some basically vowed to not use Twitter anymore. I know NPR stopped using Twitter. There's on our website um, in Tyler's store, he kind of created a list of different stations at that time that stopped using Twitter. I'm not exactly sure how many of all of them continued that, but that was sort of a thing. Um, and Twitter, just in its sense, you know, now I guess being re renamed or rebranded has, you know, been going through a lot of changes itself. So a lot of this might just be kind of part of, you know, the vast changes going on in the social media space anyway. But essentially, it just gets back to the idea of, you know, public media doesn't, you know, is not state affiliated media in the way that you might think of other things. It does get federal dollars from the taxpayers, but there's a lot of other layers to this that are a lot more nuanced than just kind of labeling like that, labeling it that way and moving on. Um, you know, and that kind of thinking does translate to other things now. I mean, when during the Trump administration, um, you know, there was times where he, uh, the Trump administration sought to zero out public media funding, largely for the same things that they would try to phase it out, that, you know, public media doesn't need the federal money, that they can move on. That was sort of the things that got brought up then. So this kind of talking point is not at all new. It just depends on who's making the claims at the, the given time, essentially. And do either of you have the the exact number for what the average American pays for uh, for public media in a year? I believe it's something like a dollar and thirty cents or something like that. It's about a dollar um, forty forty a uh, dollar and forty cents Inflation. for American per year is what the federal funding works out to. So a uh, very minimal, far less than a, a cup of coffee. Um, and it really does, you know, provide a, a critical foundation in terms of the financial um, model for most stations, um, for all stations, really, especially those in the small and more rural areas. Um, and I going back to one thing you said about Part of our difficulty is that our system is a little bit more complicated and it is unique. Um, PBS and NPR are not networks. They're, PBS is not like NBC. The stations are not affiliates. All of our stations are locally controlled and independent and they are making decisions about what content and what services are most needed and uh, most wanted by their communities. And that's part of what makes us so unique and, and what makes it so essential that um, this funding continue um, and that these stations continue to operate because we know that in general there's a, a, a huge loss of local media happening throughout the country and public media stations are some of the last local media and this federal funding is a key part of how we are able um, to continue that service um, and I will say that there have been a couple of reports over over the past many years looking at could 
um, public media survive without federal funding. And both um, an internal report by CPB, but also a report by the Government Accountability Office, both found um, that it cannot re easily replace federal funding. And I think we've seen that in some of our um, in some commercial um, outlets where they may start with a goal of covering history or covering science, but you do see that they have to sort of bend to the um, to the consumer side of things. And that's something that, you know, public media is able to, as, as Julian quoted, you know, really treat um, Americans as citizens and not as consumers. And I, I love that point. I love all the points that you are both making, Kate Riley and Julian Wiley. And I appreciate uh, you hitting home the fact, Kate, that stations that are funded by CPB that receive these federal funds are local. They are meant to reflect the community. Um, and I, we had mentioned just a little bit about um, how much WART receives uh, in funding. I bugged our WORT staff member who manages our CPB grant. So these details are courtesy of Doug Holtz um, about, about some of these details. I thought it might be useful to spell some of what we do and what we have to do to get that federal funding. Um, first, to get CBB funds, we have to provide some pretty expansive data about the station. We have to do a station activity survey and highlight our projects and our staff members and all sorts of things there. Other requirements that are like foundational to WORT at this point, uh, but are actually CPB requirements, are things like having open meetings for our board of directors and for our committees, um, having a community advisory board, these things that promote democratic decision making and transparency in your station's operations. Um, a third of the funds that we receive are restricted to program acquisition. So uh, that third, that most of that chunk is uh, the funds that we use to pay for the BBC headlines, which you hear multiple times a day, including right before this show. Um, we also pay a few other um, uh, networks, basically PRX and Pacifica uh, memberships out of that restricted funds. And that allows us to air things like Democracy Now! and a couple other shows. Um, were we to lose CPB funding, it's unlikely that we would be able to continue at least the, the BBC headlines. Um, losing the unrestricted funds Funds, which is the other two thirds of our grant, would destabilize all of our funding, force us to reevaluate staffing and many of the projects that, especially the new projects that we're we're trying to do here. Um, and I don't think WORT is unique in any way in that regard because. All broadcasters that receive CPB funding now would be forced into some hard decisions if the House appropriations draft were to pass. And it would impact stations of all sizes, from these larger public radio stations to small rural and indigenous-run community radio stations. And um, you've kind of talked about this, Kate, but can you just get into, especially for these smaller, um, smaller communities or more kind of uh, rural and spread out communities, how would this impact them? They're, maybe they don't have a newspaper. Maybe they don't. Um, this is all they have. Can you talk more to that? Absolutely. So on average, in the public television system, federal funding makes up about 15% of stations budget, but that's a big national average. And when you look at those smaller and more rural serving stations, the federal funding makes up closer to 30 to 50%, um, which is a significant portion of their budget, if that were to go away, to try to, to even just to try to stay on air would be very, very difficult. 
um, to lose that type of funding. And what we see is that these stations really are um, a lifeline to those more rural communities that don't have any other way to access um, local information, um, news, public affairs, but also emergency alerts. When we, in some of those areas that might be more prone to wildfires, their local public radio and public television stations are their best source for information about if they need to evacuate and if so, which way. Um, so this is a critical um, part of the communications lifeline for rural communities around the country. And the federal funding plays a, an even greater role for those local stations. It's You really can't overstate how important it is to maintaining that local service um, in smaller communities around the country. Absolutely. Thank you, Kate, for for outlining even more of that. It's 1250. You're listening to A Public Affair on Community Radio, WORT 89.9 FM. We're talking this hour about a threat to public media funding being driven by the U.S. House of Representatives. If you have a question for either of our guests, this is about your last chance to call in. We're at 608-256-2001. We just talked about how WART would be impacted if our funding was cut by this House Appropriations Bill. And while we're faced with uncertainty on the federal level, individual listener support has always been the primary way WART is funded. Um, And as a reminder, this is our Evergreen Drive, one really helpful way to support WORT. The most helpful way to support WORT, really, is to become a monthly donor. The minimum level to give monthly is $5 a month, and that helps us go a long way in planning for future projects, along with the topic of today's show, giving us more peace of mind when we face threats to other sources of funding. And I will also say that giving monthly saves us some labor. We don't have to spend the time on data entry that comes with traditional pledge drives, which is very nice. And monthly donors continue to qualify for premiums that we offer during pledge drives. So... Think about giving monthly. The minimum to give is $5 a month. You can find out more information and sign up online at wardfm.org slash donate. And I don't have a bell to ring in here, but I believe we have someone to thank who just decided uh, to, let's see, I'm supposed to thank Julie from Madison, um, a current monthly donor. Thank you, Julie. That's so helpful, who um, requested a thank you. Uh, So thank you so much, Julie. We appreciate your support. You really do fund W-O-R-T. I hope uh, the rest of you who are considering it can check it out online um, as we, wortfm.org slash donate. Check that out while we continue with the program with our guests, Kate Riley from American Public Television Stations and Julian Wiley, a reporter at The Current. And our music director just walked in here and handed me a news article, House Republicans Take Fresh Aim at Big Bird. I wasn't making it up. I just couldn't find it yesterday. So excellent. So let's talk about what comes next next. We're in a weird um, time right now where where it's almost August. Uh, Lawmakers have off in August. They have recess. Uh, Kate and Julian, let's talk about what comes next in the appropriations process when when we return in September. Um, Julian, why why don't you go first? Yeah, I mean, definitely, um, Kate will probably have more direct of the timelines about this. You're dealing with the people in Washington, but you know, my inkling is that, you know, kind of like I mentioned earlier, now people probably rest a tad bit easier um, that the Senate recommended funding at the $535 million level, um, including interconnection, including um, funding for that FEMA program that's for the next generation warning system. 
Um, you know, what I always think about now as far as a going forward thing is, you know, aside from just what happens this particular appropriation cycle, my brain is starting to think about, you know, will we see, you know, the $535 million mark kind of remain stagnant for a few years? That's something that apps has mentioned before, you know, previously there was a time where around that 400 to $445 million mark stagnated for, you know, around a decade. And that, you know, stagnating at a certain amount doesn't allow public media to, you know, get as much maybe money as they need each annual year, you know, things get more expensive every year. We all know this. So, um, you know, I'm thinking about not just how this plays out for this particular appropriation cycle, but if this kind of energy might persist as far as going forward of, you know, recommending a lower amount that CPB might need, um, what does that change with how much money public media can invest in the stations each year, depending on how things are going? Yeah, public media takes a hit, even if we survive this cycle, right? You, uh, this t- continues to make headlines and, um, you know, it's it just joins the ranks of history and uh, the number of times that people beat up on public media. Um, but right now we have two radically different bills to consider. We have a drastic House appropriations bill that has no funding for public media and a Senate appropriations bill that recommends retaining the current level of funding that couldn't be further apart. So, I mean, Kate Riley, what should we expect? So when Congress comes back um, to Washington, D.C. in September, uh, we do think they will be turning pretty quickly to trying to figure out how to fund the government past September 30th. That likely will mean uh, a short-term funding measure called a continuing resolution, which will keep the government funded at approximately last year's levels for a certain period of time, probably a month or so. Um, But they do have a very difficult um puzzle and negotiation to try to figure out because the senate bills are drafted to a higher level closer to the fy23 level and the house bills are drafted to a much lower level the fy22 level so there is a big distance between them not only on public media funding but really on many many accounts in all 12 of the um of the funding bills that fund the entire government so um and it's going to be very difficult uh The Senate will need 60 votes to pass their legislation. And I think that's what um, Chairman Baldwin was talking about when she said that this is a bill that could pass the Senate. They're thinking about if this bill can get 60 votes in the Senate, then that's probably the most likely proposal. But in the House, you have a very slim um, Republican majority of uh, just four seats. It's actually going down to three um, with with a retirement in the fall. So it's going to be a very difficult needle to thread and there's a lot of um, groups within um, the different parties advocating um, on each side uh, and and it will be a challenge um, and I don't think anyone knows um, yet you know I wish I had a crystal ball to tell me exactly how it would all play out but what we do know is that it does normally take very close to the end of the year um, even in a less complicated year for these very um, comprehensive spending bills to be negotiated and finalized. So uh, we would expect that we will be very close to the end of the year before the FY24 funding levels are finalized, but there's certainly a risk of a government shutdown. 
Um, the, the, the parties are very far apart currently. <laughs> and so in September, we'll be watching to see if they can come together, but also we'll be continuing to make the case for public media funding. And one, um, one thing that's been so important in our efforts to date has been Protect My Public Media, which is a grassroots um, organization that uh, we help run. And that is an opportunity for every American around the country um, to sign up at protectmypublicmedia.org. You'll get updates on the status of um, federal funding for public media. And we'll let you know when it's the right time to reach out to your members of Congress and and ask them to support um, robust funding for public media. Um, and I know, you know, in the last week or so, we had over 50,000 messages sent to members of Congress through that network. And we've heard from um, our friends on Capitol Hill that those messages really do make a difference. It's extremely important for members, you know, across every ideological wing and in every part of the country to be hearing from their constituents about how they value their local public media stations. So certainly encourage all of your listeners to sign up at protectmypublicmedia.org and share it with your friends and family in other parts of the country too. Thank you so much for anticipating my last question there, which is how to get involved. That's protectmypublicmedia.org. I want to thank you both for lending your time on today's show. After a stressful few weeks, Julian Wiley is a public television reporter for Current, a nonprofit news outlet covering public media and the industry. And Kate Riley is vice president of government and public affairs for industry group APS, APTS, American Public Television Stations. I want to thank you both so much for joining us and we'll have to have you back thank you Definitely. so much thank you so much i appreciate it thank you both well um thank you both again for being on today's show it's twelve fifty-nine. i want to also thank our engineer summer cough and thanks to producer jade isiri ramos and to receptionist patty sd denor is your regular host of the program on assignment for a few weeks I'm Sholly Pittman. This is A Public Affair. Thanks for joining us this hour for a very close-to-home episode. And lastly, thank you to our listener sponsors. You make up about four-fifths of our funding, and WORT has always been built with direct support from the people in our community. If you give during pledge drives but you're not a monthly donor, think about switching over to monthly donations if that's something that makes financial sense for you. About a third of our donors give monthly, and we're really trying to raise that to at least half. The minimum to sign up is five bucks a month and you still qualify for all the premiums that you would during a full-length pledge drive. Keep it tuned here to your community-sponsored station, WORT 89.9 FM Madison. Up next is Mel and Floyd. Thanks for joining us. I will not climb into your telephone tree and hell no, you cannot put me on.